from Floresville, San Antonio. This is an EWTN Newslink. I'm Teresa Tamio from Catholic Connection. The chair of the U.S. Bishops Pro-Life Committee expressing great concern over the House voting to pass the so-called Women's Health Protection Act. Archbishop Nauman saying this is the most extreme pro-abortion bill our nation has ever seen, saying it's not about the health of women, but only about eliminating any and all protections for unborn children, including baby girls. The House will begin debating a bipartisan infrastructure bill today. Speaker Nancy Pelosi alerting lawmakers she was delaying the vote until Thursday. The bill already passed the Senate and aims to revitalize the nation's roads, bridges, ports, and rails. The Vatican releasing the theme and message of the next World Youth Day. The theme this year comes from Acts chapter 26. Stand up. I appoint you as a witness of what you have seen. For more news with a Catholic perspective, visit EWTNnews.com. I'm Teresa Tomio, and The Doctor is In with Dr. Ray starts now. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. How are you, sir? This is Peter. Oh. I can't believe we're talking to you, Dr. Ray the Great. Oh, I don't know about that. I love listening to you. You have a personality just like my father. I don't think you should feel helpless. You are helpless. Doctor, I really appreciate that. That makes me feel a lot better. You be at peace, or else I'm going to yell at you. Try to find a reason to speak to you. I think you're the best thing since sliced bread. That Ray, he's something. Thank you so much for what you're doing for all the parents out there. They don't know what I can possibly do. I don't either. I'm getting my money worth, I think, at this phone call. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, Here's Dr. Ray. Thanks for joining me here. Dr. Ray Garendi, this is E-Person Monday. In my... Attempt to keep up with the ever-evolving, almost week-by-week, language that is appropriate and not appropriate to use whatsoever. Talk about stifling free speech. Not only can you not convey ideas, but you can't even convey words. Of course, words underlie the ideas, so if you control the words, you control the ideas. So, in a nod to linguistic correctness, I don't say email. You know why? I shouldn't have to explain it person now that's only one step along the way because pretty soon person will not be appropriate of the sun per sun so the etiology of that word is um it's questionable it's questionable so at some point we're gonna have to we're after to bow to the pressure and say e people monday but not yet i'm still standing my ground Take your uh, e-peoples, your missive. See, I can't even say missives. You know, a missive is a letter. I, I'd have to say missive. I can't say missive. Uh, take them as the best we can. Read them. Read between the lines. And I try to approach them like I'm talking to you. You're talking to me through the letter. Letter's okay, isn't it? There's nothing in letter, Andrew, that is inappropriate. I don't think it is. Letter? Okay. Well, let her... Yeah, that might be. Got to get careful on that one. We'll just have to have to watch that. Uh, that may change here shortly. I don't know because the most 
Most of the time, things I thought were so ridiculous they would never come to pass, they came to pass the next day. So, given that, I try to read in between the lines of the letter as though you're speaking to me, and then I talk to your letter. We'll get to those in a moment. Let's see what I got here on this. I was wanting to do this, or maybe do I want to do this or not? Hold on. I got enough here. Okay. This is a test I thought would be good when I had my assessment classes in college because we had to divide, we had to divide tests. Now, back then, there wasn't quite the squeamishness with humor that there is now. And a lot of things are not allowed to be said anymore because they're humorous, they're funny, they're a play on reality. However, somebody in Nova Scotia might get offended, so you can't do it. But here's kind of what I wanted to set up. Now, it's a very, very simple, very simple marriage test. You make your wife happy. If you do something she likes, you get points. If you do something she dislikes, you lose points. You don't get any points at all for doing something that she expects you to do. Okay, so here we go. For example, simple duties. You make the bed. That's a point. You make the bed, but you forget to throw on the decorative pillow. Zero. You just lost your point. You throw the bedspread over rumpled sheets. Minus one. Okay. You go out to buy her what she wants. That's a plus five. It's a very charitable act. In the rain. Plus eight. Blizzard. Plus 12. Tornado, plus 55, but you return with beer, minus 5. You lost them all. You lost them all and you went into the negative. Okay, you take her out to dinner for her birthday. That's a plus 2. You take her out to dinner, and it's not a sports bar. That's a plus 3. Okay, it is a sports bar, minus two, and it's all-you-can-eat night, minus three. It's a sports bar, it's all-you-can-eat night, and your face is painted the color of your home team. Minus ten. You take her out to a movie. That's a plus one. You take her to a movie that she likes. That's a plus three. You take her to a movie that you don't like. Plus six. You take her to a movie that you like. Minus two. It's called Death Cop Challenge. Minus three. You lied. And you said it was a foreign film about orphan pets. Minus 15. You get any idea here? All right. You develop a bit of a belly. Now, that's minus 15. You exercise to get rid of it. Oh, it's plus 10. You develop a bit of a belly, and you resort to baggy jeans and baggy Hawaiian shirts, minus 30. She asks, does this make me look fat? Minus 5. Why are you getting minus 5? Because... That question, you lose points no matter what. You hesitate 
in responding. That's a minus 10. Even, even if you answer right, if you hesitate, you're in big trouble. You reply, where? Minus 35. Communication. Now, this is a big one here. When your wife wants to talk about a problem, you listen. You display what looks like a very concerned, attentive expression. That's zero. You're expected to do that. You listen for over 30 minutes. That's a plus 50. You listen for more than 30 minutes without looking at the TV. Plus 500. She realizes this is because you have fallen asleep. Minus 4,000. Now... I don't think I need to say that my test was not accepted in graduate school. That I had to develop another one. But speaking of tests, let me just, before I go to my first break, there was a fascinating study. Psychologists are very, very twicky. They gave a personality test, probably to sophomores. Sophomores are psychologists' lab rats. I remember when I was in grad school and we used to do different types of tests. And we always kind of designed the test so you really didn't know what we were testing. We told you what we were testing, but that's not what we were looking for. Same here. They gave the students a test. They said this is the newest and latest and greatest of psychology personality tests. And they asked the kids to answer the questions as best they could. They said, we will tally the results. We will bring them back to you. I don't know, a week, two, three weeks later. Reconvened. Gave the tests to the kids. The profile that they had each developed for the kids. And said, would you please rate how accurate our test was? Well, the ratings were pretty much off the charts. Very, very accurate. You know, they probably used a scale, one to five is the most popular scale in research. All right. So they had a new test, which fit really most of the kids well, according to the kids' assessment of how accurately this test captured their personality. Really good. Probably on average of four point something out of five. Way up there. Those wascoey psychologists. The profile that they gave to each kid was the exact same profile. They used personality traits and descriptive words that would fit most people. In general, you're an outgoing, gregarious person, but there are those times when you prefer to be by yourself. People admire you for your honesty, but every so often, you have to take care not to be too honest. There you go. You can make it fit. That's the dangerous. That's the danger to personality tests. 
I have seen, I had a friend tell me that uh, his company paid these assessors huge dollars to come in and give personality type survey tests to their employees so that the managers could figure out how best to respond to each employee's personality. Charged them a lot for this. I read over (laughs) the results they gave them, and I laughed. Because they were generic hodgepodge. And I would suspect that the managers didn't have enough particularly useful information to do much about it. But the people who did Day of Owls, they made big bucks. All righty. When I come back, I'm going to head straight for your e-persons on The Doctor Is In. I don't want to talk about it. You don't want to talk about it. Then why did you bring it up in the first place? Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria mutual funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria mutual funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Mississippi presented a brief to the Supreme Court, and in that brief, the state of Mississippi argued that the Constitution of the United States does not confer a right to abortion. Asking the court to finally admit the cases claiming there is such a right, Roe v. Wade, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, have been wrongly decided and need to be overruled. Now make no mistake, this is coming to a very different Supreme Court than we've had in the past because former President Trump kept his promise to appoint originalist judges. And even if we assume they regard Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey as bad decisions, we really don't know how they might go about revising, dismantling, and reforming Roe. This is going to be a very consequential Supreme Court case. Cresta in the Afternoon with Al Cresta. For Eastern on EWTN Radio. Why do we need Catholic Radio? Because not everybody is sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? Catholic Radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material whether it be a question-and-answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology, I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Father Wade thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Ray Garendi. Good to have you with me here on The Doctor Is In. This is our Monday version, usually the Monday version. Sometimes we will do a call-in program on Monday, but I just started to feel really bad about the uh, e-persons coming in 
that I just can't answer most individually. Some of them are pretty detailed. Some of them, uh, well, just the sheer number, the sheer number. Where I can, though, if I have not answered yours individually, then it didn't get to me. Because where I can, somehow, some way, I say something. Usually, usually not the greatest of help, but I'll say something. All right, where are we at here? Dr. Ray, I listened to a recent program. You were talking about tithing. You are correct. Most of us haven't heard much about tithing at Sunday Mass. This is true. The tithing is predominantly a fundamental or evangelical, non-denominational. And and typically, uh, I'd have to say that their folks give a lot more than Catholics do. Um, I was at a parish just recently. It was one where they passed around the collection plate. No longer the big long poles that they used to use when I was a kid. Pass it around. A little more community sense. And as it got to me, I always look inside. Took a quick gander. Every single bill in there was a one dollar bill and the area where i was as best i could tell was kind of an upscale area okay many years ago our then pastor did talk about it his instruction was something along the lines of your 10 percent being split five percent to your parish one percent to your diocese remaining four percent to the charity of your choice i've seen some pastors talk that way split it up 5% to the parish, and then the other 5% elsewise. Uh, let's see. He was emphatic to point out that those poorer in our parish, if they were paying tuition to the parish school, it was considered part of their 5% to the parish. Otherwise, they might have mistakenly thought they couldn't afford to send their kids. I thought that made a lot of sense, Dr. Ray. As in older times, the parishes did indeed cover tuition. Anyway, let's see. Thanks for doing some number crunching to put it all in perspective. Every few years, I feel a need to take a fresh look at what we're giving to the church and to the less fortunate in general. Just a comment. I I railed on it. I truly railed on it. Um... I was recently listening to a priest, I believe from Nigeria, because he was talking about Boko Haram and what that militant Islamic group regularly does to their masses, where they will send a young child in, promising the child they're going to give him food. You know, maybe these were street kids, naive kids. Put a pack on the child's back and say, when you come out, We'll give you some food if you just take this pack inside there on your back. And then, of course, they blow it up. Along with the child and anybody within who knows the blast radius. He said this is not an isolated event. He said we have reports of this almost every week. And he talked about the circumstances in his country for the Catholic faith, the people going to Mass, knowing that this could happen. Kind of kind of does put a little perspective on many people not going to Mass 
because they were afraid. Uh, I'll just let that one go. Then suffice it to say that, that many around the world take much more risk going to Mass than we do. His homily was the most moving I had ever, ever heard on missionary priests coming in and talking about. He wasn't trying to pull heartstrings. He wasn't groveling. He simply stated something. He, too, was scheduled uh, with many priests in his vicinity to be killed. They were captured because they were priests. They were Catholic priests. Going to be killed. The night before he was to be executed, he escaped. He didn't give the details. He said, I just escaped. But many of my friends did not, he said. Whatever you can do to help through your prayers, through your gratitude that God allows you here. Out of curiosity, a couple weeks later, I called in and I said, what was the amount given to that priest? I was hoping, gosh, I was hoping it was many tens of thousands. It wasn't even close. And I thought to myself, why is this? These are people who go to Mass. These, these are the 20 to 30 percent of Catholics who, who still go to Sunday Mass. These are people who, by and large, their, their average income, if you believe the statistics, between seventy dollars and $100,000 a year as a family or more. It was a big parish. I was shocked. Absolutely shocked. Our Lord talked about greed and acquisitiveness and not sharing more than anything else that he talked about. If Catholics gave, let's just say 5%, let's just say 5%. If the Catholics who attended Mass gave 5%, all priests could easily go to seminaries, paid for, all missionaries could be funded, all school tuition could be paid for. It would, it would be an unbelievable boon to what the church could do. What can I say to my son that maybe I have not said enough? Okay, let me stop right there. There is a communication frustration that we fall into a lot. We think that by repeating our rationale, our suggestions, our push, our nudge, our moral perspective, enough times... It's going to register. There, no, no, no. There, there is a law of diminishing returns at play. Sometimes you just have to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. In the words of the song, you just have to realize that you're, you're pushing the topic, especially a moral one that the person doesn't at all agree with because you've tried, is only making it worse. What can I say to my son that maybe I have not said enough because he has left his wife and son and is seeing someone? I've talked about Satan and how he is poking at him to continue with his new thrills. And also, I've talked about him hurting his wife and his nine-year-old son. His son doesn't know about this relationship. All he knows is that mom and dad are angry at each other, and they 
have separated. Okay, so here's mom of her son trying to convince him of the destructiveness, the immorality of what he's doing. And the guy doesn't want to hear it. His happiness supersedes his nine-year-old son's. I get this all the time in marriage counseling. They will say to me, I deserve to be happy. And some of them, some of them even say the Lord would not want me to be in this state. <laughs> yeah, they do say that. Okay. I am out of words. Well, that's good because you've said pretty much all you can say. And I'm praying that my son will open his eyes. Today I felt anger. And I'm seeing my son as a selfish person. I haven't told him yet, but I will. No, don't. Don't. That will just make him angrier if you say this. He doesn't agree. He's going to sadly have to see the ugly results of what he's doing. My son has joined with his older sister to read the Bible from the beginning once a week. And I don't know if this is the son she's talking about in this email or her other son. All right, I'm going to take a break here, but there's a second paragraph here that I want to get into, which I'm not sure this is exactly the cause. So I want to unpack it, see where we go with it. I'm Dr. Ray, program The Doctor is In. I was going to say I'll be right back, but I sure hope so. If I don't come right back, nothing on the other side of the break. Maybe that's better. Bishop Robert Barron. Find out in any cultural situation, who's the Lord? There's somebody or some principle, some figure, some institution that has central importance in that culture. Whether it's king, whether it's the military, uh, who knows what it is. Go up and down the centuries. What's the Lord? The declaration of the Lordship of Jesus will always be a challenge to whatever that reigning Lord happens to be. The Lord today is my personal freedom. I decide what my life is. I decide who I am. I decide everything from my gender to the ultimate meaning of my life. Now that personal freedom is so powerful that it's become the Lord. To evangelize the culture is therefore to challenge them and to say, no, no, it's not your own ego, not your own freedom that's Lord. Jesus determines the meaning of your life. Jesus is the center of your life, not your own freedom. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. What does the Ninth Commandment forbid? The Catholic Catechism says the Ninth Commandment warns against carnal concupiscence, sins against the flesh. What is concupiscence? It is the consequence of original sin. Though baptism purifies the soul of all sin, it does not remove our tendency toward sin. In this rebellion of the flesh against the spirit, as defined by St. Paul, we must develop purity of heart, the desire always to do the will of God, especially in the area of charity and chastity. Purity requires modesty. Modesty protects the intimate center of a person. It refuses to unveil what should be hidden. Modesty guides how you look at others and behave toward them. 
It should dictate one's choice of clothing so as not to exploit or tempt another. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Thanks for joining me here on the Doctor's In. I'm Dr. Ray Garendi. Program, Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time, co-production of the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and Abe Maria Radio Communications, a TV show, Living Right with Dr. Ray, heading into its 10th season, starting up this fall. Uh, we had to be a little creative because of COVID last year, but uh, we think we pulled it off. All right, this is E-Person Monday, and I will summarize just very quickly the first paragraph of this E-Person. Very, very frustrated uh, mother of her adult son who is um, leaving his wife and nine-year-old son because he said he's unhappy in the marriage. And she said, what can I say that I've not said? She said, I've talked about Satan. I've talked about him poking his nose into continuing his new thrills about hurting his wife, nine-year-old, and he doesn't care. And my point was, it's time to stop saying anything more. You've said, you've said all you can say. Then she says this. I read... Okay, now, again, you could, you could read any article on psychological motivations and theories. I read that because my ex-husband cheated several times that my son now does it. Now that, at the very least, is an oversimplification. That is saying, all right, as I grow up, I'm going to mimic, follow the same path that my wandering parent did I might but I think it might have more to do with the fact that the message of perhaps father or the relationship I don't know was that morality wise it didn't matter and I think that could be what's moving the son my son knows <clears throat> what I went through and yet he continues to do so see the Mom, the implication you're making here is that because he recognizes that somebody else could be hurt by what he's doing, that'll stop him. If that were the case, there would be a lot, lot, lot less sin in the world because sin hurts people. And if people said, well, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to pursue my own passions, my own desires, my own wants, because somebody's going to be hurt. Somebody's are going to be hurt. There'd be a lot less in. Where you're perplexed is that why doesn't this stop him? He sees how this is hurting me, sees how it's hurting his wife, sees how it's hurting his kid. Well, there's a very simple answer to that. He's more important. What he wants, what he defines as his happiness, at least for the moment, is more important. I talked about his choices, and yet he continues to text his girlfriend. You see, Mom, what you're saying is I've approached this from every angle I can. It's not a matter of logic. It's not a matter of giving good reasons. It's not a matter of being morally consistent. It's a matter of he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to go back to his wife. He'd rather have his girlfriend. And whatever the cost to the people around him, this is something that's going to have to happen. I'm told by my husband 
that my son has to make his mistakes and hopefully learn from them. If my son chooses to continue this, I am just a step away and let God handle this and pray for him. Well, I don't know how God will actively handle this. What I do know is that God will not stop him in the sense that the guy can do what he wants in terms of immorality. But God has wired into the world system moral laws. And if you break those moral laws, you got a pretty good chance of bringing down on yourself some pretty ugly consequences. So for the moment, your son thinks his happiness resides in this woman. Whatever emotions he's having, they trump everything else. They trump commitment. They trump perhaps losing custody of his son. Losing his son's admiration because dad broke up the family. And you people thinking of leaving your spouse. Don't underestimate that one. I've got families in my office that one or the other spouse broke up the marriage and there are two, three, four, five kids and almost always one or more of the kids wants to cut off contact with the abandoning parent because he or she broke up our family and this is more likely to come from the teenagers. The little kids, they still they still like you. They still think you're great. Then as they get older, things can change. Let that be a warning. I don't know how this will play out. A lot of people in my office broke up their marriage to chase another person and are now in my office because of their regrets, because of what they did with their lives, because of how they alienated those that they loved or, or acted like they loved. They wish they could go back and undo it all. It was too late for them. Too many people have been burned too much. So I don't know where this will lead with his son, but Grandma, I want to tell you, you've said, you've said your piece. You've said enough. He clearly doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to hear any rationale. You're operating out of the assumption that if I just find the key... Just the right words with the right logic, the right emphasis, the right repetition. He's going to say, that's it. That explains it. Good point, Mom. Good thing you finally brought that one up. The other 19 you tried, I didn't, I didn't accept. But this one, this one works. That's not going to happen. It's not a matter of logic. It's not a matter of reasoning. It's not a matter of morals, most likely. It's a matter of I want to do what I want to do, and that's it. So quit trying to tell me I can't do what I want to do. At the most, you may make him feel bad, probably with his son. He probably has enough anger and bitterness towards his wife that he doesn't care how she feels about any of this. He doesn't care what position she's going to be in as a single mom. His son, he wants, he wants to keep his son's affection. What he doesn't realize is that the woman that he is seeing, if he gets serious with her, 
she's going to have to accept that boy. Maybe she's got a couple kids of her own that she likes a lot more than she'll like his. But that remains to be seen. And maybe she won't like the fact that he doesn't discipline his son. Why? Well, because his son only comes to visit on weekends and and he doesn't want to make his son not want to come to see him. So he's going to become permissive and allow his son to get away with murder. And his new girlfriend is going to say, I don't like this at all. And then they start to fight. But you see... He doesn't see any of this coming down the tracks. Not at all. I'm amazed in my office when I talk to people how they have not considered any of these potential outcomes. to Spirit of Stewardship. Jeremy Belsky is your host for real-life stories, encouragement, and ideas to enhance your own gifts of work, wealth, and wisdom in response to God's blessings for you. I'm Jeremy Belsky, and today's topic is stewardship, a new spin on the money-back guarantee. We've all heard it. Your satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. A business will back its product regardless of the amount used or consumed. They know it's worth the expense in order to maintain the customer's future business. But what about stewardship and our effort to make it a way of life? How does being a good steward of our work, wealth, wisdom, and prayer guarantee anything? The analogy between a business's money-back guarantee and living a stewardship way of life each produces a result. With the business model, you get a new product. With the stewardship model, you get the lifelong opportunity to enter the kingdom of heaven through faith and good works. Jesus wants you to do good with what you have, based on how he has blessed you. He shows his love and forgiveness through the sacrament of confession, and shows encouragement and hope throughout our daily prayers to him. Jesus sees his gifts to you when he sees you give to others. We are all created in God's likeness and image. Thus, we all have different gifts to share. Perhaps two key questions to ask yourself to gauge your own level of stewardship is this. What am I giving? And how am I being called to increase my performance? Spend some quiet time in prayer, preferably in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, and ask for God's guidance in living a stewardship way of life. Let His money-back guarantee bring you peace, love, and happiness. I'm Jeremy Belsky, your host for Spirit of Stewardship. To learn how you can better share your talents and resources, contact your local parish priest. Your level of involvement in the church now positively impacts our faith in the future. Dr. Zinn is high-definition radio, pulchritudinous, loquacious. Those are the only big words that Eric gave me. Magniloquent, pugnacious, mellifluous. That's about as high-definition as you're going to get. Good to have you with me here on the Dr. Zinn. Uh, this came, this was an old email, but I noticed it as I was going back because this email came to me again 
uh, the person wrote again um, this day. But I, it brought my attention back to the old email. Your opening monologue today was an absolute hoot. You talked about your reading skills at church with the buffet goof up and running into the collection box. To reiterate, I am a lector at church. Now, I'm in the media, Catholic media. So I thought, hey, I can do this lector stuff. I mean, it suits me. I'm, I'm professionally trained. That's right. Show these people how to read the scripture the way it's supposed to be read, right? Well, there was a reading from one of the epistles of St. Paul, and where St. Paul says that he buffets his body. I, as I was reading it, said, I buffet my body. Now, as I tried to look out into the congregation, I didn't see too many cringes except my wife's. She was hiding underneath the pew. It's where our kids used to go when they were bad. But she was under there, and, and, and when I went to sit by her, she scooted down as though she didn't want to <clears throat> have association with this person. That wasn't bad enough, but as I was walking into Mass, carrying the gospel, you're supposed to raise it up high so you can see. Well, I didn't raise it up high enough. I raised it so it was blocking my eyes. But I thought, there's no problem. I know where I'm going. I'm walking straight down the aisle. No big deal. And the altar servers were in front of me, and I noticed that they split. There were two of them in front of me. One went to the right, one went to the left. And I thought, well, that, that's interesting that they would split this, this soon because normally they split up toward the altar as they go to each side of the altar and the priest comes to the center and then he goes around and I place the gospel on the altar. And I thought, why did they, why did they separate so soon? No sooner had I saw that, when I thought that, and I, boom, right into what was then the collection it wasn't a plate it was it was like a four foot high place where you could just drop your envelopes in i didn't see it obviously i hit it a good one no question about that i don't know it's hard to make a comeback when you buffet your body and you bang loudly <clears throat> into the collection receptacle well, John here says, I was laughing so hard as I was eating my lunch that I couldn't swallow my food. And then I think he touches upon my intent. It, <laughs> it makes me feel better about myself when I hear about your goof-ups and your wife's reaction. <laughs> Glad to sacrifice myself, John, on the altar of your self-esteem. <laughs> but John raises a good point. There's something called Schadenfreude. It's a German word. You probably knew that just by the way it was pronounced. That means, and this is this is not this is not John's case. 
This is this is something much more serious. Jaden Freude basically says we get pleasure out of seeing another person fail. We get pleasure out of seeing another person get their comeuppance. We get pleasure out of seeing another person fall upon rough times. It's an ugly, ugly, ugly characteristic. Unfortunately, it just seems to be writ large in human nature, fallen human nature more accurately. Why is this? Why could we why do we possibly get pleasure out of seeing something bad happening to someone else? Whether it's minor or whether it's big. Why? I believe part of it is that we're always comparing. We're ever comparing. Always measuring ourselves up to the other person. How do we stack up? Geez, I'm not that good. I'm not that holy. They seem to be so much more holy than I am. They can levitate two feet higher than I can levitate. How do they do that? How do they pray the rosary in Aramaic? I have a hard enough time just sticking with it in English. We compare. And generally, we feel pretty good about ourselves when we compare favorably. I'm not so bad. I'm all right. And then we feel threatened or insecure when we compare not so favorably. What is this shared human characteristic? And if you say, oh, no, I don't do that. Look a little more closely. There may be some seeds of that in all of us. It does come down to keeping a level head about comparisons. It does come down to my value in the Lord's eyes is not how I stack up. My value in the Lord's eyes is how I personally seek Him. Well, okay, that's wrong. That was the wrong thing to say. My value in the Lord's eyes is is unchangeable. But my goal is how I personally seek him with his help. All this other stuff, whether I'm as good a musician as you are, or whether my radio show is not as good as some of the other radio shows, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That isn't, that isn't how... I am to get my satisfaction. Alrighty. I feel very good about taking a break. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. I never cease to wonder at is that this Jesus, Son of God, came born in a stable, escapes from a king. And his whole life he's kind of hunted down by the jealousy and the ambition of the scribes and Pharisees and the king. And he speaks and heals to the people. He, he raises the dead and, and exercises the demons. Nobody's grateful. He does all that, he did, he continues to do all of that 
and we still don't understand how much he loves us. Isn't that odd? For more information on Mother Angelica, visit Religious Catalog at EWTNRC.com. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. You know, maybe we need to ask ourselves, do we really know Jesus? Maybe another way to ask that would be, how familiar are you with the Gospels? When I was living in D.C., I was on the plane, taking a late flight home, sitting next to a young girl. She was probably 16, 17. I had my collar on, and we got talking, and she said, uh, somehow in the course of the conversation, she acknowledged that she was running away from home and was in the midst of uh, an awful lot of difficulties that were going on. Her story seemed to be remarkably akin to the story of the prodigal son, which we just heard this past Sunday at Mass, huh? And so I started to speak a little bit about that with her. And I said, you sound a little bit like the younger son in the story of the prodigal son. And she looked at me like I was from Mars. And I said, are you not familiar with the story of the prodigal son? And she says, no, never heard it. And I just looked at her and I says, oh my goodness, are you in for a wonderful evening? Dr. Ray Garendi, the dogmatic brat whisperer. Good to have you with me on the Doctor's End. This is our last e-person of the day. My, um, gotta see if I get these right. This this one doesn't quite fit, but I'm gonna try to see how I can do this. He, my nephew, quit the military and has been living at home ever since. He wants to eventually take over our restaurant with my eldest nephew. He doesn't want to do the basic things in the restaurant, like wait tables, make drinks, cook, cleaning, do small repairs. I've spoken to my brother about this, about encouraging my nephew to come to the restaurant and start learning the business. But he says, my nephew's heart is not in it. My nephew has a master's in business administration, but he's not using it much. He spends most of his time doing things for a particular church that I won't mention. I would like to encourage him to start working at the restaurant. Can you give me some ideas about how to go about this? Well, actually, no. (laughs) My brother says he only wants to work on more important things, not the basic things. In other words, this particular group that he's involved in through a religious tradition is where he thinks that it's most important. Now, there's a line here that I I can't quite make heads or tails of. My nephew's committed suicide about 10 years ago. He got hooked into a certain particular religious approach. They came alongside and helped him cope with the trauma. I think maybe he meant to say my, my nephew's brother. My nephew's brother committed suicide. There was something missing here. And then the nephew got involved with this particular religious movement. So he feels a very deep connection to them. And the restaurant business, being the kind of business that is as demanding as it is, 
in so many ways, he just doesn't want any part of. My suggestion is you don't push him. Why? If Even if you can convince him, um, my guess would be it'd only be a short period of time before he decides this isn't for me. I may yield and try it, see how it goes, but if in fact his heart is not in it, his motives are not there, it's probably only going to be short period of time before he says, I knew it. I knew it. I knew I wouldn't like it. I don't want to do this stuff. So my guess here is that you would better go in another direction to find somebody else to take over the restaurant. And your eldest nephew, who is looks like, sounds like he's involved in this, uh, won't have to deal with him, won't have to deal with the stuff that he refuses to do, the stuff that he avoids, the stuff that he neglects, getting him to come to work on time, getting him to give hours. I think that would just be a challenge for your more involved nephew. I think at this point, you got his dad saying he only wants to work on a more important thing. So it sounds like his dad is saying, hey, he doesn't want to do it. I'm not pushing him to do it. So you as an uncle don't have a whole lot of leverage. Not if dad agrees with the son. Now, you say the son has a master's, master's degree in business. Well, you would think that that might incline him to a business. But this apparently isn't the business that he's inclined to. It's a little too much day-to-day demand. Every restaurant owner I've ever talked to Every restaurant I've ever gone to, they're always there. Almost whatever hour it is, they're there, making it run, doing whatever they have to do. If a server doesn't show up, then they serve. If a cook doesn't show up, they cook. Dishwasher doesn't show up, they got to find somebody to wash the dishes. Maybe them. So that, that unpredictability of the demand is something that, Only the most motivated pursue. My suggestion would be that you think long and hard about whether you want to try to pull this young man into the restaurant business against his will. It also may be that he just doesn't want to work. (laughs) He's been living, he quit the military. You said he quit which means he didn't like that either, and he's been living at home ever since. My suggestions. Any final thoughts on the e-persons of today? Many of these e-persons come through the radio show. Many come through the TV show. There is a point at the TV show where my producer, voiceover, says, we'd like to hear from you. Please write us at drray.com, and there's a contact page there. So some of the folks who write e-persons, I ask them to call the program. Now, for various reasons, it's a smaller percentage who do. A few even say, what program? <laughs> Maybe they're watching the TV show, but they don't have an affiliate in their particular area, and they're not familiar with using the other 
ways to listen to Catholic Radio through apps or Sirius Channel 130 or web streaming. The other ways that uh, Catholic Radio is just every everywhere now nationally. So, so they say, what, what show? What radio show? But I ask them to call because I tell them I can talk a lot faster than I type. So, thank you for joining me here on the Doctor Is In. I appreciate your company. Good Lord permitting, tomorrow you and I will interact head to head, ear to ear, voice to voice. I'm Doctor Ray. Thank you for joining me. Stay on the walk with God. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Celebrating 2,000 years of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. I promise to love you in good times and in bad, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. On your wedding day, you made this vow to your spouse in the presence of God and all those present. These are not words to be taken lightly. And the reality is that the responsibilities of marriage and family can be challenging at times. Good times can become bad in the blink of an eye. Things like financial hardship and sickness, among others, very often bring about fears and anxieties that make it difficult to be as loving as we should be. There is a simple Latin phrase to keep on hand when fear and anxiety take over our thoughts. Quid est hoc ad aeternitatem? What is this in the light of eternity? In other words, keep things in proper perspective. While the challenges here on this earth seem like a big deal at the moment, they are but a flash in the pan compared to all of eternity in heaven. This has been a minute for your marriage and family from the Three Hearts Institute. Check us out on Facebook. I've never heard y'all before. There is this lady with her big white SUV, and on the back of the windshield is this big cross with y'all's radio station underneath. Put it on y'all's radio station anyhow, and then it starts talking about the saints and how the saints give you signs, and they lead you into the right direction. I just appreciate you and God for putting that sign in my life and letting me know that it, it is Him, and it's okay. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, I accept some of the things the church teaches, but I could never embrace the entire creed because there are some things in it that I just don't have any use for. G.K. Chesterton says, you might as well say that there's a great many things in the Encyclopedia Britannica that you don't have any use for. The church, like the Encyclopedia, is meant for everybody, and not just for you. It is meant for everybody, which just happens to include you. The Catholic Church is a combination of things that are nevertheless one thing. We cannot accept only part of it without rejecting all of it. Want more than a minute? Visit our website at www. 
www.chesterton.org. KJMA 89.7 FM, 